from KDNK Community Access Radio in Carbondale, Colorado, this is the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. The goal of this program is to identify and even create experiences that are more meaningful or just more fun for us and for our sighted traveling companions. Frequently, as people lose their eyesight, they become more and more isolated. The Tactile Traveler hopes to empower people not only to go literally around the world, but around the block to new adventures in their lives. Blind ranges from people who are visually impaired, and glasses and contact lenses no longer help them lead a normal life, to people like me who are totally blind, sighted parents who have blind children, to blind parents who have sighted children, and people of all ages, interests, and physical abilities. All of us on the show are volunteers, and since we all live in Colorado, most of our early stories are from Colorado. Since all of our stories will be reported from the perspective of blind people, and there are very few blind reporters, we'll be giving blind people the opportunity to become reporters. On today's program, we will meet people who are walking and running out of their comfort zones, seeing in a new way what some people might look at as the destruction of nature, a tourist attraction that's fun for the whole family, and an important part of the future of our independence. All of the blind people involved in today's program met at the Colorado Center for the Blind. It's where we learned many of our independent skills and developed our independent attitudes. The center is not only a school for blind people from around the world, it's the center of activities for blind people from all over Colorado. And it's where our first story begins. It's the start of the second annual Six Dot Dash in the Denver suburb of Littleton. Braille, the system developed by Louis Braille, uses raised dots to enable blind folks to read with their fingers. The Braille system uses one to six raised dots to constitute a letter of the alphabet. Jessica Beecham is one of the race's organizers. The Six Dot Dash is a 5K to raise funds and awareness for Braille literacy. Specifically, we fund our scholarship program and our Braille Enrichment for Literacy and Learning Summer Camps for Blind Children. Who's eligible to race in? Everybody. And what percentage of people are blind? Oh, goodness. I really don't know, but it's probably a higher percentage than in most, well, it's certainly a higher percentage than in most races, but it's certainly not a race that is, you know, specifically laid out or designed necessarily for blind people. So it's really a community race for everybody. Everybody includes Eileen McMahon. Eileen has macular degeneration. When I say I'm 92 and I'm going to try the race again, they say, oh, you don't look 92, and I think that's wonderful if you can do that. <laughs> Tactile Traveler reporter Delfina Rodriguez has been a volunteer for the Six Dot Dash for the last two years. So 
I originally was handing out medals and we were we were done with that. We'd been done with that for a while and we were just all sitting around hanging out talking and all of a sudden we look over and there's Eileen coming up finishing. She did not give up the whole time. It was so great. Eileen is one of 350 people to participate in this year's race. Like most of the blind racers, she was assisted by a guide. I use my walking stick and they just make sure and tell me what's ahead maybe and then but I can see but when I can't see they'll warn me and tell me there's a uh, some uh, stream to walk across or something like that. Runners are usually tethered to their guides or hold on to their arms. One guide dog school, Guiding Eyes for the Blind, trains some dogs to guide their racing companions. Even though Eileen expects to come in last, she takes her racing seriously. She spent the last three weeks training by walking at least two miles a day around the lake near her apartment. Unfortunately, Eileen decided after about two miles, in 96 degree heat, that it would be best to get a ride for the last mile. Yes, it was worth it, absolutely. Uh, if it was a cooler day, I know I wouldn't have had any trouble. Yeah. Because I've been outside a lot. Don't cut your life off if there's, there's so much available anymore. And I, you know, I, it's so important to keep on going because the blind people can do so much. And it's just uh, making up your mind that there's other things besides sitting in a chair. Eileen certainly shows that the rest of us have no excuse. And you don't even have to come to Littleton to enter races or just walk. There are races everywhere. And Jessica Beecham says, under the Americans with Disabilities Act, your guide shouldn't have to pay an entry fee. But if they don't pay, they probably won't be eligible for a free t-shirt, a goodies bag, or any of the other things that are usually included in race fees. Even though she's blind, Jessica would like to see you at next year's race. Go to www.6.co.com and go ahead and get ready to register for next year. You're listening to The Tactile Traveler on KDNK. I'm Nick Eisenberg. After a short break, we'll go to Aspen to see how a record-breaking winter has created a special experience for us. Welcome back to The Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low-vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. Colorado had record amounts of snow this winter, and along with all that snow came record numbers of avalanches. White River National Forest Shelley Gale and Lynn Lockwood gave tactile travel reporter Joanna Belmont and me a tour of an area where there has been numerous avalanches. The goal is to see if we could experience what other people can see. They took us to the Maroon Creek Road near Aspen. The Maroon Creek Road is in the bottom of a very narrow valley and goes to the world-famous Maroon Bells. 
the valley experienced numerous avalanches that were so powerful they went down one side of the valley, across the road, and partway up the other side, literally littering the road with trees and rocks. Those trees and rocks have been cleared from the road, and now we're at the bottom of avalanche chutes along with the remaining avalanche damage. So what we have in front of us are several chunks of down timber that have washed down the creek as a result of the avalanches that we had this spring. So these pieces of debris have flown down the creek and are now starting to jam up behind the bridge. So we've had to pull them out of the creek so that they don't force the bridge to wash away. Now where are they? Are they in the banks or are they in the they're water? They're right on the banks and they're in the water. They're okay. in both places. So we can, we can feel them right here. If we stop right here, and then do you want to just feel the avalanche debris? Okay. okay, so here, I'll bring your, I'm going to bring you down quite a ways. Okay, down farther, farther, over here. Here, I'm leaning forward, step forward a little bit. Okay, and then right, so these are some of the trees that are down, right? There we go. Right here, we got this, we've got, we have oh. about 10 pieces of right here. These are big trees. They're big trees. Right in front of us we have one that is probably 18 inches in diameter, which is a very big tree. And you know, seeing these aspen leaves tell me that some of the aspen did survive the avalanche because they were able to produce leaves at the time of the avalanche in March. Obviously there were no leaves on the trees at that point. White River National Forest Recreation Manager Shelley Grail says all those aspen trees by the Maroon Creek Road are only considered avalanche damage because people built a road through the valley. When there's no development, avalanches are simply part of the ecosystem. The power of Mother Nature is fierce. She definitely had a voice this spring and we, we heard her and saw her loud and clear. So it's just a good reminder to stop and take the time to see and feel and hear what's out there because Mother Nature is such a powerful force. And we don't know when this will happen again. We had such an impressive avalanche cycle this spring. It could be another 500 years before we see something like this, or it could be another five. We just don't know what's right around the corner. Most people will really be spending just a small amount of time at the actual base of avalanche chutes. They'll spend more time hiking, camping, and picnicking around the Maroon Bells. The two 14,000-foot-high bell-shaped mountains are one of the most photographed places in North America. A number of people have died climbing them, so they should only be climbed with local mountain guides. There is a wonderful wheelchair-accessible trail around the lake on which we can feel, smell, and hear the atmosphere of the mountains. Everything at the Maroon Belts can be reached by bus. For more information, contact the White River National Forest Aspen Sopras Ranger District in Aspen. And for bus information, contact the Roaring Fork Transit Authority, Ruby Park Station. The most interesting thing to me was how the weight of the snow avalanching down the mountainsides caused the fallen aspen trees to all face the same direction. Johanna, what do you think about the trip? I really enjoyed it. It gave me a lot of confidence just to get out and try it. Why? because I have macular degeneration and I really can't see what's in front of me too far. 
And so I didn't have enough confidence to try uneven ground until today it really felt comfortable with the two ladies there. Let me tell you that some of the sounds like the roaring of the river, the breeze, the coolness of the river, the power of the river just really excited me. And then when we looked at the fallen trees, it was amazing that I could see a little bit of the highlight on the white trunks. So I could see a bunch of things that looked like hair or pickup sticks, but they were all in the same direction as if a river had just come down from the mountain and dropped them on the side. It was amazing when we walked over to one of the tree trunks and could feel how it had been bent and curved in a gentle way. It wasn't broken. It literally was curved and then ripped out of the ground. And as it laid on the ground, you could actually feel the curve at the bottom of the trunk. Some of the trees that had gone through that and are curved today are still growing, which is amazing to me. I really think that we should not go by ourselves if you have any vision challenges. But when you do go, if you have someone with you, that would help. Mostly because I did start to walk on a small field with waist-high grass. And my cane really helped me a lot. But I didn't see the, the nettles, the stinging nettles that could have gotten me if I had walked farther. So we do need someone with us. Thank you, Joanna. Our next story takes place at the National Federation of the Blind Convention in Las Vegas, Nevada. The National Federation of the Blind has been instrumental in the development of autonomous vehicles. For most of us, that means self-driving cars. Sachin Pavitron is Director of Policy for Utah State University and also serves as chair of the Committee on Autonomous Vehicles for the National Federation of the Blind. NFB is, is probably the leading organization when it comes to blindness, non-visual access, when it comes to fully autonomous vehicles. What we need to see happen and what we need to do to, whether it's policy or whether it's industry, when it comes to technology, what to do. We are staying on top of the conversation nationally when it comes to blindness and autonomous vehicles. The intersection between blindness and autonomous vehicles. There are two ways blind people are going to have to get involved to make autonomous vehicles really happen for us. There's policy that limits what, what, how they define who can access these autonomous driving machines. But then you have industry who's trying to build technology. If you don't have good non-visual access, that would limit us from accessing those machines also. So you've got to address both spaces. So you can't do one or the other. Because if you don't work on both spaces, you, you, know, you, could, you, you might have victories in one area, but you might lose out if you, you know, if you can't do it. Pavitron says that before we get into our own self-driving cars, we're going to have to get on a bus and talk to our legislators. So we need more blind people to voice the importance of accessibility, non-visual access to this autonomous vehicle. But also we need blind people to be more involved in policy discussions in the state level, whether city council, state legislature, and also congressional offices, why it is important to have fully autonomous vehicle that we have full access to, that blind people can be independently 
use it so that we can live independent life and also have access to employment because in transportation is one of the biggest barriers that blindness you know blind people face he says we can't wait for other people to create things for us we have to be part of the people designing the solutions to our transportation problems you know, there's a strong push for blind people to be more involved in STEM-related programs and getting blind people educated to be part of these industries so that blind people are not just advocating but also being the people, being the individual that are designing these, uh, you know, devices, these uh, driving machines. It'll, it changes the conversation a lot further because we don't have to go find these uh, engineers. You know, we have blind people who are actually the engineers. So we need blind people to be educated to be part of STEM programs to be part of these industries. Self-driving cars are not a question of if, but when. It's, it's not a time where we can predict yet, but I, all I know is it's coming, and it's coming sooner than we realize. Pavitron expects people who live in rural areas where there's no mass transit to take advantage of self-driving vehicles first. He also says that most of us will not own our own cars, but will be part of a car sharing program. We'll have something like a Yo Car app, and it will drive itself to our front door. You're listening to The Tactile Traveler on KDNK. I'm Nick Eisenberg. After another short break, we'll take a ride into Denver's history. Welcome back to the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. One, two, three. Oh, come on. You guys can do better than that. <laughs> it's all aboard. Well, kind of a lame all aboard. A fun ride into Denver's electric transit history on the Denver trolley. Located at 1400 Water Street, behind REI along the South Platte River in Denver. Volunteer Stephen Elkins tells us about the trolley's history. It is last of the streetcars that we used to have 200 streetcars that ran throughout Denver until about 1952. Actually one of the streetcars um, we had a line that ran to Boulder and another line that ran to Golden throughout the city. This is a the, the bottom it's a replication of the 200 trolleys that ran throughout the city. Um, the bottom of the trolley the um, mechanisms the air brakes the handles, all, all the running equipment on it comes from a 1924 trolley um, that was running in Melbourne, Australia. The top of where you were seated, that was replicated in 1984 to resemble one of the trolleys that ran throughout the city for 40 some odd years. Our track now What's left of our track is about a mile and two-tenths. We run along the South Platte River um, from REI, and we make a stop at the downtown aquarium first, and let people off, take people on, and then the Children's Museum. And then we can stop, if people want us to, at the Bronco Stadium, because there is the sports 
um, museum, which is free to the public inside that. And then we reverse the trolley because it's, we operate from either end and we start back. Along with the transit history and environmental facts about the ecology of the Platte River Valley, conductors tell some really corny jokes. I have taken down this tree. Justin Bieber. No, just a beaver, yeah. No, not Justin Bieber. So uh, beavers come up, they chew around the tree, tree falls over, and they use the upper leaves. Uh, so we don't like to see uh, beavers at this part of the river because of the damage they do to the cottonwood trees. So what happens when we find beavers is uh, Denver Parks and Wildlife actually trap them the trolley really runs on original electric motors, but since the overhead power lines are long gone, those motors are powered by a noisy diesel generator in the back of the trolley. So if you're hard of hearing, sit in the front to better hear those corny jokes. Tactile Traveler reporter Delfino Rodriguez suggested the story because she thought it might be good for blind parents with sighted children. But we found that it's a lot of fun for everyone. We know of one group of blind seniors that are planning a trip. I mean, children love trains and trolleys. <laughs> if there's enough time when we come back, we take the young children and put them up in the front, let them blow the whistle, ring the bell. I like the ring the bell too. Trolley rider Lydia Eckert, who has 2% vision in one eye, I'm so jealous, experiences it differently than I do. I enjoyed it a lot. My very first time on a trolley. I liked the openness. It was all open. I saw the conductor in front of us. I saw a bike path that ran parallel to the Platte River. And occasionally I saw bikers. I've been legally blind now for 27 years. I heard about the trolley. I'd never been on. It was a very enjoyable afternoon. I would recommend it to the blind and also to the sighted. I loved the conductor who went way back in the Denver history. It's uh, $5 per adult, children under 12, it's $2. But it's well worth it. And the children on that ride, they were so happy. The conductor would uh, ring the bell and they were all going crazy. So I would Really, really, well, I would like to go back there. That's how much I enjoyed it. Children under four are free. The trolleys run almost entirely by volunteers who do everything from selling tickets to operating the motor and being the conductor. You could become one of these volunteers by going to denvertrolley.org. The trolley starts at 11 a.m. and the last rides at 5 p.m. on Thursdays through Mondays from Memorial Day weekend to Labor Day. And they run special trips during Bronco games. Why, it's my talking scale, reminding us that we'd like you to weigh in on how we're doing. 
please let us know by sending an email with comment in the subject line to thetactiletraveler at gmail.com. We'd also like to hear your story ideas from all over the world. Send us an email with story ideas in the subject line to thetactiletraveler at gmail.com. This has been a pilot program. Katie and Kay will only continue to broadcast us if they get a big response from listeners. So if you like it, say it to Katie and Kay Program Director Raleigh Burley. His email is raleigh at kdnk.org. That's R-A-L-E-I-G-H at K-D-N-K dot org. If you'd like to help us underwrite this program, please send us an email with underwriting in the subject line to thetactiletraveler at gmail.com. This program is also being broadcast on the Audio Information Network of Colorado and in some additional states. This program will also be available wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Tactile Traveler. We've had a lot of help getting our first program on the air. So we'd like to thank Cesar Lascano, Lorraine Hutchinson in the Colorado Division of Vocational Rehabilitation, Andy Teitelman, Kat Bradbury at the Audio Information Network of Colorado, and her board of directors, Zach Hall, Lucas Turner, Brett Boyer, Dan Simon, Carrie Thompson, Seth Anderson, Be My Eyes, Microsoft Disability Tech Support, and Raleigh Burley. I'm Nick Eisenberg. This has been the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. This has been a production of KDNK Community Access Radio, Carbondale, Colorado. Mm-hmm.